Okay, so every now and then I get a request that really makes me happy, and, and this is one of them. Somebody was asking me about Matthew chapter 15, which in my opinion is one of the most head-scratching encounters that Jesus ever had, and it's one of my favorite stories in the New Testament. I've read several commentaries on it, several books on it, heard several sermons on it, preached it two or three times myself. I think John Ortberg's probably my favorite, but there's a lot uh, with this passage, and I just want to reread it with you this morning. I don't know if it's been even been that long since we've done this together, but I just love this passage, and we'll just walk, work through it again and see what we can learn. Matthew 15, 21. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away. She keeps crying after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. So the woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Yes, Lord, she said, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that very moment. Okay, so you remember the story, right? It's fascinating, isn't it? But let's be honest before we get started this morning. How many of you think this is kind of rude behavior? I mean, I know it's kind of hard to say that about Jesus, especially at church on Sunday morning, but I want you to be brutally honest. Raise your hand if this looks like he's being a little rude to this woman. Man, you people with your hands up are in big trouble. I mean, I hate to be sitting where you're sitting. But no, this, <laughs> there's a lot of things going on in this passage of Scripture, but I think it showcases more than anything else the teaching ability of Jesus Christ. He is the most brilliant teacher that ever walked the planet. Now, this passage has got all kinds of good master teacher stuff in it, and he fulfills all of them. A, a master teacher aims at not just giving out information, but trying to change lives with it. A, a master teacher doesn't just lecture. He gives life experiences. A, a master teacher knows that truth is most powerful if you make people dig for it. I mean, that's what I do with my jokes every week. I make you dig for the humor so you'll appreciate them. You know what I mean? A master teacher is able to teach two or three groups at a time on several different levels. And, and a master teacher sometimes is so good that the student doesn't even know they're being taught till the thing's over. Jesus did that a lot. Walter Winkus said that Jesus used what he called deliberately induced frustration to teach a lot of times. For example, one time he told the disciples to feed 5,000 people and they barely had a lunch big enough to feed two. One time he told them to uh, cast out a demon of the woman that they, they couldn't cast out. Another time he told him to get in a boat and go across the lake when he knew a storm was coming. And the point is, deliberately induced frustration is a powerful tool in the hands of a master teacher like Jesus. Jesus was always letting people know where they were at on the curve. And, and I think this passage shows what a great ability he is. James, uh, Ken Bailey says that to grasp the point of this passage, you have to understand that Jesus is teaching two groups of people at the same time. And I think three, counting us. Because we've been talking for weeks now about joy and peace and grace and love and all those things. How are we doing? Are we learning it? This is a good test. I think you can see by the time this test is over, immediately who aces it and who gets an incomplete. This is a good story. Okay, so William Barclay says that this is the first time that Jesus is ever outside the territory of, Jerusalem, of, of the Jewish territory. And 
you know how I'm always telling you don't take my word for something? Well, this is one of them because I read that and it makes sense to me, but I didn't research it. So somebody might want to look that up. It makes sense to me because by this point, there's no place in Palestine where Jesus could go for privacy. I mean, everywhere he went by this time in his ministry, large crowds showed up. And so it makes sense to me that he took the disciples and he went up to Tyre and Sidon, which were two Phoenician cities north of Israel, which, by the way, it's important in the story to know that they hated these people. Josephus said the word hate was appropriate here. They despised these people. In fact, if you just go back to Matthew chapter uh, 11, around verse 20, Jesus had been performing all these miracles in Galilee, and he wasn't getting any response. And so this is what he said in verse 20. He said, Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. If the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented in sackcloth and ashes years ago. He said, I'm telling you the truth, it would be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than it will be for you. What's Jesus saying? He's saying even those nasty, wicked people, the most wicked people you can think of in Sidon, even they would have responded to me. So the point is, this Canaanite woman is an enemy of the state, okay? And she comes to Jesus in verse 22 with the traditional cry of a beggar, have mercy on me. In fact, she humbles herself enough to use uh, the title Lord which can mean master or sir. And it's interesting, she also called him the the son of David, which implies that she knew a little bit about Judaism. But she comes respectfully, she comes humbly, and verse 23 says Jesus doesn't say a word. I mean, here's this woman suffering. She's got a daughter who's suffering terribly. She comes to Jesus with respect and humbly, and he doesn't even acknowledge that she's there. And the funny thing is, Matthew doesn't even try to hide it. In fact, he showcases it. I think, that, I think he wants us to understand that he knows that this is a test. He knows how it's going to work out. He wants us to figure it out, too. Now, at this point, the woman could walk away. I mean, she's, she's got to decide how far she's willing to go to get healing for her daughter. And, and it's kind of the same thing with us, anything spiritually. Again, all the things we've been talking about here lately, being grateful last week and being full of joy and happiness and all those, those are great things to chase. But what do you do when it gets tough? When it doesn't look like it's going to happen, you just walk away? Now, this is the first part of her test, but the disciples are also being tested at this point. They're, they're not surprised that Jesus has not spoke to this woman because no self-respecting rabbi would talk to a woman, ever. There was a rabbinic saying back then that said, he who speaks to a woman brings evil on himself, disrespects the law, and will end up in hell. Rabbis didn't date much, as you can imagine. But anyway, the disciples are not surprised that Jesus deliberately ignores the woman, but he's watching his disciples. Do they really know me? I mean, do they understand that I really love everybody, even this woman? Well, he gets his answer pretty quick in verse 23 when they say, send her away. She keeps crying out after us. Get her out of here. By the way, what's this us business? Does Jesus have mice in his pocket? Because this woman's not talking to the disciples at all. She's come for Jesus. We're trying to get away, have some R&R up here, and people just always want a piece of us, Jesus. This just sounds grandiose to me. This is the way they acted in Mark chapter 10 when people were bringing their children for Jesus to bless them. Get them out of here. We've had a long day. Jesus has had a long day. Like they really know who Jesus had time for and who he didn't. They really didn't. Number two, this is where the part two of the exam starts. Who did he come for? Verse 24. He's talking to disciples here, and he says this, Quite frankly, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. 
Now, we've got to know this is a test because Jesus has spoken so many other times that that's not the case. He's made it clear he came for the whole world. He made it clear he's not willing that any should perish. He's made it clear in, in Matthew chapter 8, he talked about many would come from the east and the west and join the kingdom of God. That phrase means Jews and Gentiles. So again, this is not original with me at all. I've, everywhere I've looked, I've seen the same thing. Jesus is testing the disciples here. And remember, a master teacher doesn't just lecture them and walk away. He finds different ways to teach. He's already tried the lecture method when they made the mess with the children. It didn't take. So he's trying some remedial testing here. Y'all remember when you're in grade school and you'd get into different reading groups based on how good you were? Now they would call it some kind of animal, maybe a bird or something, so everybody felt equal. But, but you knew what group you're in because you had the eagle group, you had the robin group, and you had the pigeon group. Yeah. Any, anybody want to guess what these bird brain, what group they were in? They were in the pigeon group, you know, with, with Mark Freeman. Uh, you know, I, hey, at this point, at this point, I was going to give you a bird pun, but I realized that toucan play at that game. So uh, I'm not going to do that. Okay. So they're not learning the lesson very well. So at this point, Jesus appears to agree with them. He says, you guys are right. You're right, on, you're right on target here. Of course, we don't have time for this Gentile woman, this second-rate riffraff. We don't have time for it. Send her away. You guys are right on the money. But notice he didn't send her away. He's watching them. Is anybody going to get it? Does he have one disciple that's got enough guts to stand up to him and say, this doesn't sound right? No. Nope. They said, send her away. Now, at the same time, the woman's going through part two of her test because she's hearing what Jesus is saying. Very important at this part of the story to understand that Jesus is looking at the disciples, but he's talking to her. They're hearing every word. You're an outsider. I am the son of David. I came only for the lost sheep of Israel. You're not my mission, you know? I, I, I can't do this. Why in the world should I serve you? And again, the test for her at this point is pretty clear. Is her concern for her child intense enough that she's going to hang in there? Is her, is her uh, trust in all this stuff she's heard about Jesus strong enough that even though this looks terrible and nasty, she's not going to quit? By the way, how about you? When you get to the you know, thing you're praying about, when it looks like it's never going to happen, it's never going to work, how do you respond? I'll get back to that in a minute. Um, at this point, she can hear her daughter screaming, so there's really no place else to go. So the Bible says she kneels on the ground. This is a posture of complete humility, and she says three words. This is the cry of the human soul right here. Lord, help me. Anybody else in here besides me said those words over and over again? Lord, help me. This is a cry of desperation. And by the way, even after all this silence and words of rejection, she still calls him Lord. Now, you've got to think at this point, the disciples, something's rumbling in here got to be some tension going on because listen to a man they know that Jesus is right he shouldn't be talking to a woman he's a rabbi and she is a Canaanite woman so he shouldn't be helping her they know that that's their theology that's the way they've been brought up in church but at the same time here's this woman desperate and her baby crying over here and they got to be thinking I wonder is is there a chance that God is bigger and better than our theology I wonder, how about us? Is there a chance that God is bigger and better than our theology here? That maybe we don't know it all? This is, this is absolutely brilliant teaching. 
Because Jesus is, he's getting way down in the junk and the prejudices and nastiness in their heart. Now, you know, it's, it's going to take a while to get it out. It's, it's down in there deep. It's going to take a long time. But the seed is definitely being planted here. And, and we're not going to see the harvest until, you know, months later, years later, in uh, Acts chapter 10 when uh, Peter's at Cornelius' house. You remember that story? And he finds out the Gentiles are included. Thank you, God, or we'd still be out. So this isn't going to become clear to Peter until after the the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. He's not going to get it today for sure. Verse 26, I love this. Now, again, we have no indication from this text that Jesus is looking at the woman. He's still looking at the disciples. He's watching them. He's testing them, and he says this. It's not right to take the children's bread and give it to the dogs. Now, again, they understand this. This is clear as a bell to them. They know who the children are. They are children of Israel. They know who the dog is. It's the woman, the Canaanite. And listen, dogs were not like they are today. They were despised in Jesus' day. They were scavengers. They were garbage eaters. They were as unclean as pigs. And so I think really what's going on at this point is Jesus is making them look at themselves in the mirror, and he's saying, okay, boys, you want me to limit my ministry to the people of Israel? So be it. But you're going to watch her walk away. And you're going to watch her take that baby with her. Because see, here's the thing. The prejudices and the nasty junk that we have inside of us, it's one thing to keep it in there and maybe speak it behind somebody's back. But when it's got to come out of your mouth and you see how nasty it is, and right inside of somebody's face, something altogether different, will anybody speak for this woman? Will anybody love her the way Jesus does? Nope. Nope. They flunked their test. Now, there'll be other tests for the disciples. You guys have read a lot of them, same as I have, and and they'll grow and they're learning just as we are. But today, they don't get it today. And I'm telling you, some of us are being tested in the same way right now. That's why there's so much hate and division. Satan's working on us. And I know there's somebody in your life right now that you're having trouble with. It might be somebody at school in the classroom. It might be somebody at work. It might be somebody at church. It might be me. I don't know. It might be a whole group. You might hate the Republican Party, hate the Democratic Party. Maybe you can't stand the Russians. But I'm telling you, we're going to be tested like this all the time. And the test is always the same. Are we going to love like Jesus or not? Now, I'm going to read this story to you, and it's hard to listen to somebody read, especially if you're sleepy. And I think I've read it to you before because it's marked in the book, but it's, it's worth it. Tony Campolo. He writes, some time ago, I was invited to be a counselor at a junior high camp. I don't know how many reading this book are Roman Catholics, but the old Roman Catholic theology is right. There is a purgatory, and it's junior high camp, a place between heaven and hell where people go to suffer for their sins. He said, I've never met meaner kids in all of my life than at this junior high camp. Now, don't get me wrong. I love junior high kids individually, but the gang at this camp, they were really bad. These kids at this junior high camp turned mean, and their meanness was focused on an unfortunate kid named Billy. Billy broke my heart. He'd been born with a whole host of birth defects. He had cerebral palsy, and his brain was unable to exercise proper control over the movements of his body or his speech. The other kids mocked him. They called him spastic. 
Billy would walk across the grounds of the camp in his disjointed manner, and others would line up behind him, imitating him and mimicking his every movement. They thought that was funny. It's the worst kind of cruelty I've ever seen. One day I watched as Billy asked one of the boys a question, which way is the craft shop? The other boy twisted up grotesquely and pointed a dozen different ways. This way, this way, this way, he said. I felt like punching that mean kid. How could you be so cruel to a handicapped boy? The level of meanness reached its lowest point on Wednesday morning. Billy's camp had been assigned the morning devotions for the camp of 150 kids. All the boys in his cabin had voted for Billy to be the speaker. I knew and they knew he couldn't do it. They just wanted to get him up there so they could mock him and laugh at him. They thought it would be fun to watch the spastic Billy try to deliver a devotional talk. I was livid, seething with anger. As little Billy got up out of his seat and limped his way to the platform, you could hear the mocking laughter and the sneering going throughout the whole group. I can't remember ever being so hangry. But what was amazing was the ridicule of the boys didn't stop this little guy at all. He took his place behind the rostrum and started to speak. And it took Billy almost five tortured minutes to say, Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. I love Jesus. When he finished, there was dead silence. I looked over my shoulder, and there were junior high school boys shaking and trembling and crying all over the place. A revival broke out in the camp that day, and the kids turned their lives over to Jesus. A host of junior high boys committed their lives to Christian service. I wished I had kept count of how many ministers I've met as I've traveled across the country, who told me they gave their lives to Christ because of the witness of a kid named Billy. Family, you and I are being tested like this every day with people we know and people we don't know. And the test is always the same. Are we going to love people like Jesus or not? Lord, I have somebody in my life right now, somebody in my family, who is walking out of line with what the Bible says to do. Will you show me how to lovingly teach them the truth in Jesus Christ? Lord, I have a neighbor next door who doesn't have any, doesn't have, doesn't have any food. They're poor. Will you show me how much you want me to give them? Will you show me if you want me to do it anonymously or tell them it's in the name of Jesus Christ? Lord, there's somebody down here this, that needs prayer because they're having health issues. You want me to go? You want me to send them an email? I, I'll tell you, Jesus will make it clear what he wants you to do. But the main question is always the same answer. Love God and love people. Love them with the same love Jesus loved them. That's the way of Jesus Christ. That's the question. Okay, back to the story. Jesus made the statement about the dog to test the the, the guys for sure. But at the same time, he softened the language a little bit for the woman. I know most of you have heard this before. But there's two words for dog that Jesus could have used. He chose the diminutive form of the word dog, which means doggy. Little doggy. Not a scavenger, nasty, garbage-eating scoundrel, but a little doggy. By the way, does anybody in here know what you call a dog who's a magician? That's a labracadabrador. Do you know what breed of dog likes to take a bath? A shampoodle. <laughs> okay, one more. What do you get when you cross a cocker spaniel, a poodle, and a rooster? Yeah, you get a crocker poodle. Now listen to me. This is, this is a little dog that Jesus is talking about. Actually, a dogette. And he uses the word for the disciples' sake, but he still called her a dog. And you've got to wonder at this point, is this it for this woman? Is this the final straw? I mean, he ignored her. 
He told her, I'm not going to help you, and now he calls her a dog. you got to wonder, what's she going to do next? Is she going to pick something up and throw it at him, cuss him out or something? Or, or is, her, is his, her, her love for her daughter so intense and her hope in Jesus and his reputation so powerful that she just will not quit? Man, you got to love this, verse 27. What an unbelievable response. Yes, Lord. And by the way, the third time she's called him Lord. Yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And this was so cool because she's sparring with Jesus. She's picked up on the word he used for dog, and she uses the same word for dog, only she used the same diminutive for crumb. So actually, here's the way it would read. Even the dogettes get the crumbettes that fall from the master's table. In other words, she's coming back at Jesus with grit and faith and wit, and she's saying, okay, Lord, you're master. I, I'm, I'm not going to deny that. And of course, by all means, go to your children first, by all means. But I know you're going to have a crumb or two left, and I'm hoping you'll give it to me. I'm begging you to give it to me. I've heard about you, and I know you will. This, this is a test of endurance for this one. They had a love test. She's got an endurance test. And I'm telling you, there's people in this room right now that are having an endurance test. Something going on in your life right now. And, and, and it's not only it's going on, you're wondering how long it's going to go on. And not only are you wondering how long it's going to go on, but you've prayed about it. And you've fasted over it. And, and you've begged God for it. And you're not hearing anything. Nothing's changing. That's a nasty test. My dad uh, cut meat for Kroger for 42 years and served the church the entire time. When you meet him, you know I'm without excuse. The last 10 years he was at Kroger, he, he preached on the weekends. And then he finally got to retire. And I'm telling you, he was preaching like nobody's business every week. And then he got the news. Cancer. Ter terminal cancer. Nasty terminal cancer. He didn't make it 18 months. And I remember what my dad said to me. He said, uh... I've always known that God was in control, and he still is. But so many questions. I had so many questions. I mean, he was just absolutely on fire for the Lord. He's got six brothers and sisters. The last of them just died last year. My dad's been gone 29 years. He was the youngest, the second youngest kid. What's going on here, Lord? I didn't get it. But my dad led my family to a place where every one of us get at least once, most of the time, several times. Well, us to the choice between... Hope or despair? And Jesus said, every time you come to that crossroad, hope or despair, you choose hope. Because my dad and I got it all worked out. And again, some of you are facing an endurance test right now. What are you going to do? What are you going to do when it looks like it's never going to stop? Never going to get any relief. You're not hearing anything from God. He's not saying anything to you. It doesn't look like it's ever going to go away. What are you going to do? You're going to give up? Or are you going to be like this woman? I'm not quitting because I know Jesus Christ. And he is a way maker, a miracle worker, and a promise keeper. I trust him. I trust him. Okay, well, you guys know how this story goes. At this point, the Bible doesn't say... But I'm pretty sure now he's looking at this woman. And, and uh, it's, it's over. His, the masks have come off. And his love is poured out all over the place like it does every time he teaches. And, and it's evident the test is over. And Jesus is passing out grades. And he says to this woman, woman. Only in the Greek, he puts an O in front of it. And for you and I, that's what we get when we get, it's our hearts are full. Oh, my goodness. Did you see that picture of Annabelle when she was sick, sitting on Scott's lap? 
Oh, my goodness, my heart's so full. Did you see what's going on there? He, oh, woman, Jesus says. Oh, woman, your faith is amazing. Of course, your request is granted. How about it, church family? I mean, every week, we, we're not hiding things here at South Union Christian. Things are a mess out there. I mean, it seems like we're this far from an absolute catastrophe at any place you want to pick. What are we going to do about it? We're going to be a, hope, a church of hope or a church of despair? Yeah, we're a church of hope at South Union Christian Church because even though we don't know what's going to happen there, we know what happened here. Jesus. Jesus is always the answer. Lived a perfect life, gave it all up for us. Rose from the dead and gave us all hope. We know how this ends. If you're in this building today and you don't have that hope, you don't have any hope. This is all there is sure love to talk to you about it. The rest of us, let's just love on him.